Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and back in the international break to talk one of the greatest stories that we've seen in international football for a little while. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me as ever is the rank of Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. You'll sound a little bit ropey. Oh. I'm going on holiday on Thursday. I've got to have a COVID test tomorrow. I've just given myself a COVID test at home to make sure I'm all right. I think I've just got a cold and I've lost my voice a bit. Um, hope so, mate. I hope, hope so. That's it. Nervous I hope times. It's to do with, yeah, I've, all the, I've just been shouting at people in the streets. Maybe I just lost my voice from all that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just because I'm such a grumpy bloke these days. Um, it's not, this is what you sound like normally after an England game, but you haven't even is. been to one. I have been a football for ages. So, um, yeah, don't really know what's going on. Hope I can fly to Chicago on Thursday. Uh, looks like I'll be okay. Everyone in my house is coughing and spluttering. You weren't that well yesterday. No, there's a nasty bug going round. I don't know if you've well. heard. Of, I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's a different one. It's a different one. Sam, we've uh, we've all been ill. You've been ill, but it's it's just fine. We're gonna we're gonna crack on. We're having a good day today, uh, and we're gonna be yeah. talking about Canada, uh, and we're joined by. Aaron Moniz, who's going to be talking to us about the whole situation about Canada's qualification after 36 years, the men's national team getting to the World Cup for just the second time in their history. I'm really, really excited to learn more about the story, to you know, to explain it and, and to hear what Aaron has to say and how much it means to him as a Canadian football fan. Before we do that, it's time for Things We Love. And Sam, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off uh, and we're going to keep it international to start with at least. I think I'd, I'd just like to talk about Ecuador, who have also qualified for the World Cup. Now, it's not as rare for Ecuador to qualify for the finals, but this is only their fourth World Cup in their history. And they did miss 2018. They went through a little bit of a barren spell. It's actually been a bit of a weird sort of six, eight years for Ecuador. I mean, they've actually been through six coaches from the end of 2014 all the way through to now. It was six coaches in six years as they tried to find a solution. They finally landed on Gustavo Alfaro and whoever it is, whether it's him or if it's the board, the federation, or just the front office or whoever it is, who is responsible for shifting and evolving this team over the last three or four years deserves immense credit because that we've said it a few times already, but Ecuador have been like phenomenal at youth level over the last three or four years. Uh, they won the under-20 South American Youth Championships in 2019. They were the best under-20 side on that continent in South America, which is saying something, right? Because we're talking about Brazil and Argentina. And by the way, that Argentina side had Julian Alvarez and Thiago Almada in it. Brazil had Rodrigo of Real Madrid. And there was a Uruguay side with Darwin Nunez in it too. And Ecuador were so much better than all of them combined. They then placed third at the under-20 World Cup in 2019, again, building on that young crop and the senior side have, have seen the light. They've done a really good job of just kind of like ingesting as many of these players as possible. You've got Gonzalo Plata, you've got Jose Cifuentes, you've got Diego Palacios, all from that team. 
They've all got upwards of six caps, seven caps. I think actually Plata's got more like 25. Then they plucked Piero Incapier and Moises Caicedo out from the Ecuadorian youth system. They didn't play for that team, but they've been developed in Ecuador over that time. All of a sudden, you've got five players who are like 22 and under who are brilliant. And they've just managed to do this thing that's very, very difficult, as we always say. They've managed to balance the need to integrate youth players and refresh the setup without hitting a reset button. They've managed to stay competitive whilst completely refreshing the look of the team. And what it's resulted in is World Cup qualification with a game to spare in a really competitive field. They're better than Chile. They're better than Colombia. They're better than Uruguay. It's been fantastic for them. And I think they deserve a shout as we talk about great World Cup qualifying storylines. Ecuador, for me, not, not quite as notable as Canada, but deserve a shout and deserve their credit. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fun side to watch as well. And look, I mean, not many teams would be delighted with that result, obviously, in, in, in what happened in that Paraguay game. But but ultimately, it hasn't mattered in the grander scheme of things because over the course of this qualification campaign, they've been just so brilliant. And they're something to be applauded, I think, Sam. And a nice story mm. to keep an eye on, as you say, with the development of that youth crop. OK, over to you, DJ. What's in your locker? Well, as we record this, USA are on the verge of, of qualifying uh, for the World Cup. I mean, despite what you may have seen at the end of that game, they were holding up a banner that said qualified. They haven't <laughs> quite. They're close. Um, the players looked a bit awkward as they held that. Uh, somebody was a melon and gave them a, the banner too soon because if US were to lose 6-0 to Costa Rica on Wednesday night, they don't qualify, but it would. Like, I mean, it's not going to happen. But it, if you did, if they do think that if you hold up a banner saying qualified, then you don't qualify. It's up there as the funniest kind of faux well, pas in sport. This is what I would be worried about right now. Just like, what if it's cursed them? Anyway, the thing I loved, <laughs> loved, was Christian Pulisic's hat trick for US in a five-one win over Panama, which has basically booked their place at the World Cup. Um, it's his first international hat trick. Two pens, both very well taken. And then, honestly, a thing of absolute beauty from Pulisic. So basically, it's just after the hour mark, Luca Della Torre and Anthony Robinson combine to absolute legends of the game. Yeah, honestly, and, uh, he heroes, <laughs> heroes. And Pulisic like, receives the ball over the top. He's back to goal. He kind of spins takes a touch with his left leg, spins around one defender, basically nutmegs himself, then nutmegs the next defender and slots <laughs> it over the goalkeeper. It's unbelievable. Even Messi can't nutmeg himself. Like this, this, <laughs> this, is, this was brilliant from, from Pulisic. It, it genuinely was one of the moments you're like, whoa, I think it was Stuart Hol Stu Holden on, on comms. Uh, and his reaction was just brilliant. Like just taken aback by it. Like, Whoa, like it's so hard in real time to react to a moment of pure magic. And you do struggle, I'm sure, as a commentator, as a co-commentator, to actually do the moment justice. And to be honest, the best thing to say probably is just like nothing. And then like, whoa, what have we just seen? Because it was something that Dennis Bergkamp used to conjure up. Like just literally the way he takes it down, it's like a sort of thing you see in ballet. It's like a the way he twists and just spins between two players. It, it, it was lovely. And um, 
you know, something Chelsea fans, I'm sure, will be delighted to, to know is that Pulisic is in this kind of form as he heads back. Hopefully he doesn't pick up a knock before arriving back now for the key stage of the season. But yeah, just great to see Pulisic in that kind of form. Yeah, that left-hand side for the US, as you say, uh, Anthony Robinson, Luca Della Torre, Christian Pulisic, a goal for all America created in the forges and the fires of West London. I think, <laughs> one to just, just to remember, to give a shout-out to South West London there. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, brilliant. Um, right, the Bergkamp gonna... comparison I really like, by the way. Uh, I was struggling to put my finger on exactly what it was like, but Bergkamp just about does it. It was magical, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think Bergkamp... He scored a goal. It might have even been at what was it the one against Argentina? Maybe yeah. There's a, there's a famous Bergkamp goal that that looks exactly like this. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good comp, a good comp, a good uh, analogy, shall we say? And right, quickly before we get on to our main ranking, I just want to touch on Stephen Kearney's Ireland because we're talking here about teams who are qualified and who are qualifying for national, you know, big tournaments, and, and Ireland are not. And in the middle of a mini revolution, you'd say, under, under Stephen Kenny. But it's just been really delightful to watch. Now, by the time this goes out, Ireland would have played again, um, play Lithuania this evening. But watching us against watching us against Belgium at the weekend, and look, you caveat with the fact that it was a Belgian B team, um, it just feels like Ireland are moving in the right direction. And for years, we watched Ireland, you know, play long ball, 4-4-2, st- you know, stodgy, turgid football that you'd occasionally get Shane Duffy on the end of a header from a corner. And look, it worked to a point, right? Ireland got to a Euros. There were some successes in there. But once it stops working, once teams start working you out, it's the most diabolical football in the world to watch. When it's working, fine, because results, <laughs> I suppose, do some, to some point supersede things. But when it's not working, it had to change. And Stephen Kenny has come in, given an emphasis on youth, changed the system, changed the setup, tried to get Ireland playing football again. And I was just really proud. You know, we drew two all at the weekend with, with Belgium. And I was really proud of just the way, not necessarily the result, but the way that the team hassled, they harried, they played some football. The two goals are both very good goals. Chidozi Ogbene scores a bicycle kick. So, I mean, that in itself is just absolutely ludicrous. But he also sets up the header from, from Alan Brown to, you know, to, for the equaliser. And, Ireland created and made chances. And, and I think that was the thing that was pretty heartwarming, I suppose. This sounds ridiculous, but it, it was just one of those things to watch Ireland play against a big football nation and be like, okay, we'll go toe-to-toe with you. We'll play against you. It was the same against Portugal in the, in the qualifiers. We saw Ireland genuinely look like they were able to compete with teams. And look, we came too late for this cycle of qualifying and it's never going to be that thing. But it just feels like Ireland are on the up again. And that's never going to be on the up as in winning a tournament or any of those things. It's just not going to happen. But to watch it as a fan and be like, this is a team I can get behind, a strategy I can get behind and something that you can believe in. It's something quite special because it did feel for a while that I don't know if we'd ever see that with, with an Ireland team again. And, and I'm just really, really proud of them at the moment. Yeah, it's a shame Belgium won at full strength, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> Leave them alone. Leave them alone. I, I just want to pour remember, cold water all over remember, it. No, let him, let, him, look at him. let him get excited. He's been starved of any footballing success or style for so long with Ireland. And it is nice to see them playing a little bit more uh, expansively. And to be fair, like what, maybe a year ago, maybe slightly longer, there were definitely questions, right, over Kenny and whether or yeah. not this revolution, so to speak, um, was worth pursuing with. I think the fan base the nation, I guess you should say, felt kind of split on that. Certainly that what leaked onto my Twitter timeline felt kind of split between whether or not they should continue to give Kenny the time or maybe they should just look at something else. So he got the time. 
he got given it and, uh, well, he's come out looking okay. Yeah, I mean, look, Dean, also worth pointing out that Ireland were at full strength because Super Gav Bazunu wasn't in the squad. No, on Andrew Oma Bamadeli, who's turning into... Mate, I'm out of either of those players. Andrew Oma <laughs> Bam Maldini, as I call him. They're, they're um, right up there with Kevin De Bruyne in the world game, they are. Yeah, they honestly, they are. No Jamie McGraw, Wigan legend, St. Lurin legend. So, um, you know, you can have your Belgium, you know, absentees, but don't forget that we've got some as well. Um, but yeah, just nice to be, nice to be seeing an Ireland team that you can believe in and, and, and watch and enjoy watching. And uh, fair play to Stephen Kenny, who has turned it around. Um, right, after the break, we are going to be talking all things Canada. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where we are talking Canada. It's a first for us, and it's a first for our very special guest today as well. So I'm very, very, very proud to say that we are joined by Aaron Moniz, who is a football content creator, skewing a little bit towards data, uh, and a massive Canada fan. And also an absolute lunatic, because Aaron, is 6.30 in the morning. What are you doing? Awake to begin with. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's COVID's kind of ending here, so it's my first day back in the office, and uh, it now is the perfect time. And I know this is when you guys usually record, so it, it worked out perfectly, I think, and uh, shows just like Canada. It's meant to be. I'm <laughs> really happy to be here. I, I mean, I, I gave Aaron the opportunity to push back the recording. We're more than happy to do the afternoon. Just, I just want everyone to know that we're not really, really. Well, it's going to work. We didn't know, we didn't know <laughs> we didn't, he was actually going to work. Really we hard taskmasters. Yeah. yeah, we didn't make this man get up at six in the morning. He chose this. Uh, he chose this. So uh, thank you actually, for joining I've got to us. Say, he looks fresher than any of us. So fair play. <laughs> definitely sounds better than you. He so definitely sounds better than me again. and looks better than me. So well done, Mark. Aaron. First and foremost, and just before we get into this ranking, you know, this is just an unbelievable story. Uh, you must have been, what an experience you must have been to have been there. Yeah, I mean, um, I was I was really lucky that the, that a friend of mine was able to, had a spare basically, and I was able to go to the game on Sunday. And I mean, that was by far the best atmosphere I've ever seen at a game here or anywhere. I mean, Everyone was at the stadium an hour after the game, still cheering on the team while while everyone was out on the pitch. Um, all the players had their families um, either in the stands or they had brought them down to the pitch. We'll, we'll get into the scenes a little bit more, I think, in, in, in my ranking. But um, yeah, it was just like, I'll say this probably five times today. I did not expect to see this happen in my life. <laughs> and I know Canada are hosting in 2026. Um, which is when I knew that I would get to see my country play at a World Cup, but I didn't think that we would actually qualify um, for 2022. And and to see it happen is just a huge, huge pleasure. 36 years of hurt. We know how that feels. We're English. We have more than that. <laughs> we, we get to the World Cup, but most of the time it's a waste of time anyway. So you haven't missed out on that much, to be honest. There's just a lot of pain involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've gotten to enjoy England's upsets, though. In the how meantime. brilliant. Cheers. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Me too. So that makes two of us. Um, it's it's one of those. I mean, look, just before we get into the ranking, Aaron, like less than 10 years ago, you know, there's that famous result, well, infamous, should we say, where, you know, Canada lost 8-1 to Honduras less than, you know, less than a decade ago. And now we're looking at this team dominating and absolutely, you know, hammering this CONCACAF campaign. It's, it's an incredible switch, isn't it? It's an incredible movement in less of a decade to, to have gone from sort of whipping boys to, 
you know, smaller, far smaller nations to being able to compete and 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 go and beat a footballing powerhouse in the in the likes of Mexico and also obviously the noisy neighbors slightly below the border. Yeah, I mean, Canada have stumbled upon I think a level of talent, uh, just like a wide variety of of playing talent and and coaching talent that I don't think was in the setup a couple of years ago and. Once you get that level of talent in the team, I think the level or, or the speed at which you see it turn around is, is really quick, right? It, it becomes a matter of, you know, we were probably not even on the radar to be qualifying for the World Cup to suddenly the top team in CONCACAF going into the, going into the final ma- round of matches. So, I mean, I just, yeah, it's, it, it, it does amaze you how quickly you can see these things turn around and how quickly as well the mood has turned around in, in turn with that and, I mean, everyone is more optimistic about Canadian soccer than I've seen in in my entire life um, by by a long shot. Fair. Right. Let's get into it then. Let's get into the the ranking. And I'm just going to throw it to you and let you let you take us away. Oh, wow. I mean, this this is amazing. I've been listening to Ranks FC for so many years and now... I mean, I've become ranks FC. That's incredible. <laughs> that hot seat. Sam, Sam's just divesting power around at this point. He's like, here you go. You're the rank <laughs> god for the week. <laughs> All right. So I'll start with number five. This is the one where I kind of wanted to, to take in mind sort of everyone who's been involved in this. I think a lot of people tend to think Canada are a one-man team. And this is my way of saying this is a squad that mixes players who are playing in the top European leagues. And players who are at the top of MLS and and some of the leagues around here. And their story combined is just incredible to see. Um, so I'm going to go through some players. I think a lot of people tend to think that uh, Alfonso Davies has kind of catalyzed this change. And while he is one of the main leaders of it, this squad is full of really talented players. Um, the World Cup squad that I'm expecting Canada to put out will have nine players who are either in the Champions League, Europa League, or one of Europe's top six leagues. Um, And it's also combined with some of what I believe are the top players in MLS. I'm going to go through some of them to maybe talk about a little bit of the stories. I'm going to name these off really quickly. And then there's a few that I think you might see play at club level. So we'll focus on them a little bit more. Um, So so starting with the initial list, uh, I'll start in goal, Milan Borian. Um, He's actually Red Star Belgrade starting goalkeeper. Um, Amazing shot-stopping ability. His ability to prevent goals has... As you said, I'm a data guy. Um, very much overperformed their expected goals metrics. Um, Borian is basically just a traditional shot-stopping goalkeeper, 35 years old. And if you were watching the game on Sunday after the game, you would have seen him bring his son down, just breaking down in tears, holding his son up into the into the BMO Field crowd and uh, and celebrating that he had finally done it before pouring champagne on uh, John Herdman, the manager. Um, <laughs> Steven Vittoria, a 35-year-old ball-playing center back. Um, he, he went through his youth days at Porto. Uh, really pretty good ball player. Helps Canada get out of the back. Uh, tall, tends to play in the center of a back three. He was also in Benfica's loan system for a number of years. Basically been in Portugal his entire career. And now he's going to be in the World Cup for the first time. Um, I wanted to talk about Jonathan Osorio. Osorio plays for my local club, Toronto FC, and is one of my favorite players. Uh, and you could tell he was a hero in the city at BMO Field when, after the game, he was the one who got to bang the drum while everyone was around him. And if you if you <laughs> saw it, it's a great moment. 
he he's sort of examining the drumstick as if he wants to just bang the drum as hard as he possibly can and get it to get as loud as it can. And, and everyone's clapping in the stadium. Um, a huge leader in the community here in the uh, in the greater Toronto area for soccer. And he's been at Toronto FC, I think, his whole career. Um, Richie Larea, he's one that you might see in the championship in the coming sort of hopefully weeks or months. He's just signed for Forest, isn't he? He did just sign for Forest. Um, he's, he's a right back, but he can also play at left back or on either wing. Um, he's, he's this extremely press resistant ball carrier. Like he, he's, he'll pick up the ball deep and then you'll figure, you'll see that he's in the final third, just having carried the ball the entire way and beaten three men. And you'll, you have no idea how he did it. And he's also a huge goal scoring threat and, and crossing threat in the final third, um, loves to pick up positions on the last line. He, and he has quite, uh, quite an anger streak, I'd say. Like if, if you foul him a couple times, he tends to really get into the game, doesn't shy out of a duel. Um, I think championship fans will love him if he starts getting regular game time. And then the last one I wanted to talk about here was Alistair Johnston, um, MLS player now. But three years ago, uh, at 20, he was playing in Canada's semi-professional leagues. So that's below oh. the Canadian Premier League. Uh, or, I mean, I'm not even sure the Canadian Premier League was was a thing back then. So it was, it, it was basically not a professional league. He didn't know he would be a professional footballer. Um, and then he got drafted into MLS, and and just a couple of years later, he's going to the World Cup. And I think he he's probably going to start at least one game for Canada. Um, plays as either a defensive right back or kind of like a right center back in a back three. Um, and and he's and he is a really good defender. Like he he tends to he tends to give even some of the more difficult attackers a really a really tough time. Yeah, it's um that's that's quite a story. Just you know you see those kind of. I don't want to say rags to riches, but you know what I mean. Mm. Um, there's kind of stories where people have just like exploded out of non-league or, or semi-pro football and suddenly have reached top. That's a real jump at 20 to be playing, you know, two or three leagues below a professional level and suddenly to be to be catapulted into a World Cup three years later. That's a remarkable tale. For sure. And I mean, I think there's a lot of people around uh, in Ontario who are really, really dedicated to these local leagues and and really put their heart and soul into into them. And for them to see Alistair Johnston there at the World Cup is kind of like a moment of gratification for all the work they put in, because it can be frustrating to to dedicate so much to this country's program over a number of years and feel like you're not seeing the results. But but now they have Alistair Johnston, who's who's going to the World Cup, which is just an amazing story. Someone to hang on to, isn't it? Um, I mean, there's so much something that really jumps out here, and I don't know if it's just that it's two players or so. But you know, you know, you mentioned Stephen Vitoria there, and and the fact that he's played his whole career in in Portugal, and then obviously there's Stefan Eustachio, who who's also there in Portugal. Is there a link here? Is there a is there a Canadian Portuguese link, or is this just a matter of two players in the right place at the right time? Because it did seem to it jumped out at me there, and I was like, oh, I wonder if there's something a little bit deeper here. And you know, you see things like that, the, the link between the Australian national team and, and and the Balkans and that kind of immigratory, um, the system that's kind of shaped that. I was wondering if there was something there. Yeah, I mean, you beat me to the punch because uh, Eustachio is one of the players I, I wanted to really focus on. Um, just great player. We'll get on to him in a second. But I, I think what you find is that Canada tends to have a lot of these um, just communities of basically people who immigrated here, um, whether it's in difficult times or just to start a new family. And because of that, they, they maintain their connections uh, abroad. 
And and that gives Canada a network of of players from all kinds of places. Like I know there's been a lot of stories around Italy because of Lorenzo Insigne and uh, and Sebastian Javinko coming to Toronto FC and and seeing that there's a huge Italian community here. Um, and, and I would say that's basically the case with so many different places around the world. Um, and and in the case of Eustachio, I think he played most of his youth days uh, in, in Portugal as well, and just declared for Canada. Whereas Vitoria, I think, has played. Uh, he's played a couple seasons in MLS. Like he's he's been in the setup for a really long time. And um, yeah, it's it, it's it, it's great to see kind of like this mix of connections with other countries. And in, in Usakio's case, we'll get to it in a second. I think it shows in his playing style and 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 the influence that he has on the pitch. Yeah, Eustachio, I mean, like with uh, greatest respect to the players that we kind of run through there, um, Eustachio does seem a slightly different cut, doesn't he? I haven't seen tons of him, but obviously he's just earned his move to Porto and is incredibly influential for the Canadian national team when he gets on the pitch. And I know obviously in the previous international break in January, there was a whole hurrah about whether or not he was going to be able to travel, play and, and things like that. I don't know if it was because of the transfer deadline or because of an injury, but the word key player really does kind of sum him up in a Canadian context, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I always say that uh, Ustakio is the best Canadian player that most people haven't heard of. Um, just, I, I would argue, probably Canada's best player over the course of this qualification campaign. Uh, for those who haven't seen him, he's this like silky number eight sort of deep line playmaker, but also very busy off the ball. Um, loves to drop deep uh, between the center backs or receive from the center backs on the half turn. Um, and then and then play forward and uh, and help Canada get up the pitch. I think that type of player tends to be almost mandatory at the top level at this point. You need someone who can who can do the hard yards in possession, um, make those difficult decisions of when to recycle the ball versus when to progress it, um, and and take those risks and have the skill to actually be able to get the ball through the opposition. And then he's also an indirect set piece threat. Um, loves to uh, loves to take corners and free kicks and try to get on people's head. I know there's a there's a famous goal that um, I think it was Kyle Laren, who's my next player, um, scored against Mexico in Edmonton. Um, if you've seen the video of the uh, Sam Adakubi jumping into the snowbank, yeah, um, on the side of the pitch, oh, that, yeah. that's that goal. And Ustakio's set piece was just amazing. Um, yeah, he's a great player. For I mean, I don't really like player comparisons because I feel like they're usually wrong. But um, I would put him somewhere between like if you've seen Sassuolo's Maxime Lopez and sort of like Wolves' Joao Moutinho, somewhere between those two in that he can sort of play in every zone and then also dictate build up and then get into the final third and, and help create chances as well. Missed out the most important thing though, mate. He's got an amazing mustache. <laughs> oh, incredible. Yeah. This is it. Absolutely Every time we get awesome. to a point, and Sam's like, "Yeah, but he has great beard," and I'm like, "Right, okay, great we're very we've done lovely <laughs> player comparisons. He carries the ball a little bit more than than a Matinho does. If it, it feels anyway, doesn't it? It feels like a little bit more of a yeah, able to kind of slide through midfields, and there's there's a hint of that kind of Gravenbach about about the way that sometimes you look at him take a ball on the turn. And you're like, okay, you're going to beat two or three men now and then release. And 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 you're right. And I thought that was the you know the really key one there is that at the top level it does feel like one of those players who can just break a line on a half turn and and push into that space and open things up, especially if you're playing transitionally. You know, it does feel like you need that kind of player, and he does fit that gap quite nicely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I a lot of people know I support Man United, and I always say Ustakio is the best deep lying midfielder I watch on a regular basis. So, <laughs> oh, I think no, that's Lauren. fair enough. I think that's fair enough. Um, right, let's go on to Carl Larin before you get before you get annihilated by the Man United fan base. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, in terms of Laren, yeah. Canada's all-time top scorer now. He's got 24 and 49 caps. This is a guy who's just had an incredible career because of his ability to score goals. Um, 43 and 72 90s in MLS. Um, and then he went to Besiktas and he's got 30 and 54 90s there in the league. Like, unbelievable scoring record across his career. He's a tall, quick striker who has really good movement. Uh, Canada play a lot in transition, as we've said. He loves to pick his spot in the transitions and and get on the last line and make good runs in behind. Um, against a settled defense, he can make a- runs across and deceive defenses, and he's also quick enough to pull off those movements. Um, I'm, I'd honestly be surprised if he doesn't move to... He's been playing uh, in the Champions League with Pashikdas, but I'd, honest, I'd be surprised if he doesn't move to either the Premier League or, or another top league. I'm not sure if... I'm not sure if Dean knows anything about that, but no, he has been linked to plenty of people before. Like it's always been mooted. I think more championship. I think has been spoken about, perhaps. But um, he was linked with Fulham a couple Fulham of years back. With, I remember. A, I remember being quite excited. Yeah, I think West Brom maybe as well. But like, it feels like yeah, that probably one of those clubs that is like a yo-yo club. If you like, like he could definitely fit into a club like that. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's, mean, a, it's a sort of move that a, a newly promoted Premier League team makes, right? When they're like, right, where's our, where's our, where are our goals coming from? Yeah, we need to go like and acquire twenty goals to stay Norwich. Like it, it's, it's. Oh, you know, please don't compare him to Josh Sargent. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think Laren could probably get double figures in the Premier League. I'm not 100 wow. percent sure. It's, it's tough to say. That's but I. but i i also i'm not sure um i'm not sure he he's the most well-rounded striker outside those goals which is probably the point of consideration um like i i don't have that many doubts about his ability to put the ball in the back of the net but it's when a team is defending for 90 minutes how good is he at getting them out of their third i think that's where strikers in the premier league tend to struggle the most Mm. so yeah, uh, yeah. It's just why I think his contract's up at Besiktas at the end of the season, so um, might be a might be a cheeky free one for someone to to take a gamble on. Um, let's move on, shall we, to to the next bit of the ranking, Matt Harren. Sure, number four. Uh, you might have noticed that I left out one really high profile player. Well, I've left out a few, but but one uh, really high profile player who's also playing in the Champions League and has been around for a number of years. Uh, captain, 39-year-old Atiba Hutchinson is going to play at a World Cup. And and that is something that even he probably didn't think he would see. Um, Hutchinson's Canada's most capped player with 94. And he's played through all the years of not qualifying. Um, just an incredible professional. Uh, he made his debut for Context in 2003. Um, and the World Cup, which comes a month before his 40th birthday, Will be uh, will be his almost twenty years playing for the national team. Um, he played in that eight two loss to, or, or sorry, the eight one loss to to Honduras ten years ago. Um, he's played through everything. If if you thought Luka Modric was impressive for playing in the Champions League at thirty six this season, uh, Hutchinson <laughs> played in the Champions League at thirty eight this season. Um, <laughs> over four hundred combined appearances for Copenhagen, PSV, Besiktas. Um, Basically, this comes from a time where, you know, you would get a few Canadian players 
who are just kind of hanging around Europe with the rest sort of the best are in MLS and everyone else is uh, is is below the professional leagues. Um, and I mean, this is a guy who is in Europe just but way before everyone else. He's kind of a throwback to all these sort of one-off players Canada used to send to Europe that people will remember. Like, um, I, I think Craig Forrest is the one that always comes to mm-hmm. mind. He follows all these Canadian legends who are who are the best player in their team by a mile, like uh, Dwayne De Rosario, uh, Julian De Guzman. His, I think Julian De, Julian's yeah. brother Jonathan played in the Premier League. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Hutchinson is sort of again satisfaction for the fans who have waited so long for this. I mean, they've watched him play through all the pain and, and be the best player on the pitch by far, and now he's gonna get to play at a World Cup. Um, I was at I was at the stadium on Sunday and. The biggest reception during the match was when Hutchinson was subbed into the game. Um, complete, just standing ovation and cheers around the pitch. Uh, when his name was called, he was the last name to... They, they announced the entire squad and the entire stadium just erupted. Um, this is someone who everyone, everyone here knows. Um, he's been the poster boy of Canadian men's soccer for a number of years. And... Um, yeah, I mean, to see him play at a World Cup, to see him keep this fitness for so long, perhaps with the hope of getting there, is is just incredible. Yeah. The man yeah. from literally a different era, isn't he? Uh, which is incredible, really. And I guess his, uh, his, his veteran presence will be very welcome for this team when it actually comes to the big event, because um, otherwise it's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of players who are 25 and under, a lot of players who are, who lack real experience. So having bigger Atiba Hutchinson there, to guide them through someone with such Champions League pedigree is, is really important for the makeup of a squad. Absolutely. I mean, he's been, he sort of plays spotty minutes because I don't think he can play a 90 every three days, but um, he no he way. plays either in, in the, still as a lone defensive midfielder or he'll play at center back where he can kind of help get the ball out of the back and just offers that experience recycling possession at the back where I think that's somewhere against teams that are maybe better at pressing will will try and force mistakes um with Hutchinson it becomes a lot more difficult for other teams to do that and I mean I think for anyone who hasn't heard of Hutchinson and is looking for a comparison um I think the story is sort of similar to to Pandev getting to play at the at the Euros last year with North Macedonia yeah just Mm. someone who maybe later in their career a a complete legend in their country is, is just gotten the chance to play at one of these huge competitions and has been a leader of the program for for so many years and yeah, I had to have him in my ranking. I mean, he could be number one. <laughs> it was it was fitting in somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. no no doubt about that whatsoever. All right, what's in next, then, mate? Sure. Uh, number three, it's my chance to talk tactics. I think Canada's tactics—they've shown against the U.S. and Mexico that they're pretty well suited to playing against teams that are better than them. Um, no matter what happens between now and November, December, I do think Canada go to Qatar as one of the underdogs. Um, the squad quality is as good as it is. The World Cup is the best in the world, and 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 we're not quite there yet. Um, but <laughs> but what I will say is uh, that tactically, I mean, the wins against the U.S. and Mexico really showed that this team can be very very difficult to play against. Um, I'll, I'll start with out of possession. They they allow kind of the ball to move through the first third and allow the ball to circulate between defenders, but. Uh, the front three are extremely energetic and quick. I think we'll get to them in a minute, but um, they're they're <laughs> extremely energetic and quick, and they really work to cut off the passing lanes from defense to midfield and make things difficult for the opposition to progress the ball. And the wingers are both players who kind of they've played as wing backs or full backs. Hint, um, and 
they they tend to work really hard defensively and w- between that and the fullbacks and then sometimes three center backs um it becomes extremely difficult to break canada down and and you need some sort of really good play i mean no matter how good your defense is if you have an organized defensive setup of uh of 10 men who are working really hard for 90 minutes it's hard to break that down uh, at a professional level and mm. i think and then when they win the ball back, I mean, they've got quick wingers with amazing feet, quick, great dribbling ability, and strikers who kind of like to hold the ball, uh, hold the ball up, and either win fouls to give relief periods or uh, turn and find the wingers who can then isolate fullbacks and run at them. Um, a lot of set pieces. Uh, Ustakio is a huge threat there. Um, just basically a team that's going to make you struggle to score, and then. Yep. If you can't score, uh, hit you on the counter. I think yeah. a lot of people who watched Euro 2020, I would say there were only maybe two or three teams who could both really sustain possession and also defend counters. I think that's something we've come to see really often in the Premier League with with like Man City and Chelsea, where Tuchel and Pep have just drilled this formula of being able to stop teams from from getting at them while also dominating and consistently creating chances throughout the match. I think in different leagues, like you guys were talking about, I don't know if it was a patron podcast, but um, MLS and 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 the Brazilian league, like these leagues exist in mainly counters and transitions because yeah. they're not as highly coached and there's not these like, not every midfielder is Stefan Ustakio, so you can't just have these <laughs> long periods of team possession, right? So, I mean, yeah. I think... I think that lends to Canada, and I think it means that if a team doesn't break Canada down really early in the match and and steal a goal somewhere, they can make it extremely difficult. And if you let them get a 1-0 lead, they'll happily draw the game out and make it extremely, extremely difficult. And if they can get one win somewhere uh, in the group stages, that Mm. totally gives them a good chance of getting through because I'm confident in this team's ability to draw games. And then you could see a, a scenario sort of similar to Costa Rica in 2014 oh god don't mate don't start with that um but let's draw a couple of parallels here i mean um i think there's there's a bit more to canada in terms of attacking setup but just with regard to that defensive security and being just obstinate and really difficult to break down at a world cup and how well it can work i mean remember the iran side from 2018 and how like just 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 disgustingly like is that carlos (sighs) caro's Yeah, it was it was Carlos Quiroz. It was it was his absolute masterpiece, yeah. wasn't it? It's just like <laughs> it's just absolute hellish to play against. But Iran's problem, of course, is that they were never able to uh, break out of that deep block with any quality because they just didn't have it and they couldn't retain the ball high up. And that's not something that Canada were going to struggle with. But they do have a similar kind of defensive resistance. And I'd even draw maybe a comparison to what Egypt are able to do in the most recent Africa Cup of Nations. That is a seriously well drilled defensive unit. Guess who the coach is? It's the exact same thing. Uh, it's Carlos Kiros again. And with a little bit more quality up top, they got to within a penalty kick or two of winning the Africa Cup of Nations. So in a tournament setting, if you can be that gritty defensively and then just combine it with two or three players up top that can give you that edge in transition, hold the ball up for just five seconds, or just allow you to create that one quality chance. It can be a recipe for success, especially if you win the first game because momentum counts for so much. And I'm not just saying this because Aaron's on the pod, but I do kind of get this vibe off this Canada side. 
I- I'm not jinxing the entire country uh, six months before the World <laughs> Cup here. But they're just um, worried. They're just worried. They're trying to get you to reverse jinx it in case you end up in the same group as England. They're uh, they're already at it. Look at them playing oh, mind games before battling. anyone's even begun. Oh, absolutely battle. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. We beat England. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that's think, easy um, money. That's who you want. Um, I think, yeah, it's, I would say Canada probably have a little bit more about them going forward than that Iran side. I remember that. Oh, definitely, kind of, Their goal definitely. was sort of to go to go through to the knockout stages with three points. I think that was yeah. kind of the, the angle yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of Canada, they can actually, I'm not sure how many periods of long possession they're going to have at this World Cup, but they can actually attack teams and, and produce things in possession with, with players like Ustakio and Jonathan Osorio who can actually keep the ball in advanced areas, uh, keep it circulated and, and get balls in behind or in between the, the defenders. Um, they, I, I think last week against Costa Rica was a great example because they had a man sent off really early. It's really struggled in the first half away. And then in the second half with 10 men just came out and dominated Costa Rica for 45 minutes. Uh, I think they had almost 20 shots uh, with 10 men. Um, Kaylor Navas was incredible, so they couldn't they couldn't find mm-hmm. the back of the net, hit the post twice, um, just constantly, uh, just constantly hassling teams. And I mean, if you give Canada the opportunity to get into the game, I think they do have some resources to take it. But I do expect that a lot of these elite teams with elite midfielders are gonna are gonna put Canada on the back foot and. It's important to note that Canada can actually play that way and, and grind out results uh, the difficult way. And they're difficult to score against, which gives them more time basically to find their own breakthrough. And I think that's a good recipe for success. If 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 you're an underdog team at a World Cup, that's probably somewhere in the playbook. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, it feels like the right time then to give John Herdman his flowers, really. The first coach ever to take uh, both a, a men's and a women's team to a World Cup now. It's a remarkable story from a lad from County Durham uh, in the northeast of England. So, you know, but it does feel like this team has has really kind of, you know, and, and as you say, though, these shapes and, and patterns that are developing and, and the ability to to kind of play in two separate ways, even in, in, in one game, as you pointed out there in that, in that Costa Rica game. Is a mark of, of of good coaching as well as yes a good setup and good players and all of these things. But Canada feel like they're well drilled. They feel like they're in a, a position where everybody knows how to buy into a game plan, and that's usually a mark of of someone who knows exactly what they're doing, exactly how to set up. Because international football's different, isn't it? You know, you look at all these things, and you know, you mentioned there about, about Chelsea and Man City and and all of those things, and they're teams that are drilled every day, every single day by elite level coaches who are then able to go on and and kick on. International football doesn't feel like that because of the limited amounts of time that you get with each other. So it's quite important and, and, and quite impressive to see someone be able to drill such a style and such a nature into a group of players in the shortest amount of time that they get with them. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Herman's actually not on this list, so this is a good time to talk about him. But um, he he's been amazing. Like, I mean, I think he when he took over from the women's team, I think there was a lot of sort of discourse about how people felt that coaches from the women's game couldn't work in the men's game. And I think he's just gone and proven everyone wrong, basically. Um, Canada play with I mean, I think this is why ultimately they won CONCACAF. I don't think Canada have the best squad in CONCACAF, but I think Herdman's coaching and his ability to get this team together and and really play some tactically astute stuff for the international level has has gotten Canada through in a in a big, big way. 
Um, I think one of the sort of most distinctive things Canada do is I don't think they have sort of high, high level ball playing center backs, but Canada have a lot of right footed and left footed players. And then the wing backs and the wingers, like I said, are all sort of like Larea, Adekubi, um, Davies, Buchanan. They can all sort of both play at f- in fullback areas and on the wing. So what you'll see is kind of this like horizontal rotation where depending on where the ball is, they'll actually rotate and push one winger really high up. And then the other one will drop to form a fifth man and build up and then give Canada that extra platform getting out of the back, um, allow sort of some of the more talented players to get on the ball and build up. And I think that's a really clever thing that you often don't even see from club managers where just being able to get that extra man at the back and then have options and, and, and lanes to pass the ball out wide can be a great way of working the ball to the central midfielders and then they're looking forward to get up the pitch. And it's turned a team that I would say doesn't have many strong ball players into a team that can actually get out the back pretty reliably, if not, if not well. Absolutely. 100%. It's a, it's a real a real feat of coaching. Um, I'm glad we got to give uh, hand out hand out a little bit of those flowers. Um, we talked about it there a little bit, and it feels like the right time to come on to this attack, Aaron. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I think this is this is ranks really high because it's the source of the future. These are the three who are going to be playing for Canada in 2026. Uh, but also, I think these are the ones that everyone's going to be watching on their screens. They're all playing Champions League football now. They're all at the top level. And I think in a couple of years, at least two of them are going to be at really, really big clubs. Um, so number two is Canada's genuinely elite young attack. Um, we'll start with the one who's least heard of, uh, Alfonso Davies. Not sure you heard. Of him. Um, I know he's a, I know he's a, I know he's a big friend of the the Ranks FC podcast, and um, I'm amazed that uh, the. Am I the Canadian you've got first after Alfonso Davies? If so, that's quite sad. But it's true. anyway, I think it's, it's um, quite it's it's quite a um, it's quite a, a mark for you. You can be like, oh, you know, there's only only ever been two two Canadians on the Ranks FC podcast. You know, me and me and Alfonso Davies. So it's, I'm uh, absolutely going to say that. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. One for the <laughs> one for the books. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. That, it's that old thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, you just pick a player and be like, between us, we've got X Premier Leagues, X Champions League trophies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We win the Bundesliga every year. (laughs) Exactly. One of us. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, Davies is is Bayern Munich starting left back. But um, I think maybe where the most interesting point of conversation is with Davies is that you get to see him in a role further forward, perhaps a throwback to his youth days. Um, If you remember his dribbling against uh, Nelson Semedo in the Bayern 8-2 against Barca, it's a lot more of that stuff. Him isolating fullbacks destroying them um he has incredible acceleration uh extremely like i think what you don't see when he plays left back is the threat he can provide in the box um great ball striker um um, can really hit the back post um and i mean there was one goal against panama where canada were 1-1 with like half an hour to go and i think it was ustakio just clears the ball and it's about to go out of play and somehow Davies just accelerates onto it so quickly that he actually floors the defender with his first touch to kick it along the touchline. And then he rounds the goalkeeper and scores. Like, it, it is an unbelievable goal if you haven't seen it. Um, I'll focus a little bit more on the other two because I know everyone knows about Davies. Um, Jonathan David is only 22 and he's scored double figures in Europe in the last four seasons. Um, first with Gank and now with Lil. 
And it looks like next season he might not be playing for Lille even. Um, he, he's got, I think he scored a few in the Champions League this season. Um, he's, he's, he's a good goal scorer. And I mean, he's got more than, I would say, probably more than one in three is what the data suggests for his goals, but, but slightly less than one in two so far. I think maybe where he provides the most value is receiving um, in difficult situations and in possession sequences. Um, he kind of has this, like, I would say he's more involved than the typical striker in the way a team plays. For Canada, Laren tends to be the last line presence or the the main one. So David will often drop deep and almost play like a number 10 role where he gets to facilitate the ball moving from left to right. Um, really good at receiving in, in on the counter and then either quickly moving the ball out to the wing where Canada can really threaten teams or winning a really quick foul because he'll draw contact and then get the ball out of feet really quickly. Um, just an incredibly silky player to watch on the ball mm-hmm. and probably what makes me very confident that he could play in any league, even if he's not going to be the absolute top scorer in every league in his prime. Um, My just- kind of striker. My kind of striker. Someone who does the dirty work. I don't like Carl Laren, but I like Jonathan David. One word answer, Aaron. Yes or no. Does he suit Arteta's arsenal? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he does. I, I don't want him to go to Arsenal. Please. <laughs> if please, I have to support him at please, Arsenal, yeah. you don't understand how hard that's going to be for me. Um, <laughs> I, I do think if Arsenal make the Champions League, they're probably going to look for someone with a little bit more proven pedigree scoring goals. Um, I would expect, I mean, if he can find fitness, I, I think he's actually better suited to Arsenal than someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, mm. but Calvert-Lewin probably scores more goals over a season and that might factor into the decision. Mm. Um, but he does fit into Arsenal. Someone, I think Arteta really looks to involve the striker in every aspect of the play. I'm not a hundred, I'm not a hundred percent sure how I feel about that, but he really wants the striker to, to get involved and build up, be able to receive and, and. Uh, drop the ball back to the midfielders or get the ball out wide um, and then and then make that final run into the box with perhaps Martinelli and Saka and be able to be able to score goals as well it's a it's a really demanding role um, and perhaps with David versus another elite young striker prospect what you're giving up is maybe somewhere between two and half a dozen goals a season um, but what you're getting in exchange is a lot of like I said, just really, really high ability on the ball. And uh, and when the ball goes to him, it's more likely to stay with him than, than with someone like Calvert-Lewin, I think. Yeah, it just kind of really strikes me as the sort of player that, from what I think Arteta wants from his striker, great fit, absolutely great fit. And there aren't that many out there like that. So Jonathan David's in a really kind of privileged position. He's got those four seasons of double figures and goals, so he can check that box. And he's uh build up, build-up play monster as well. And someone that gets, gets involved, like... He looks to me like probably the most affordable of that of that strain of striker that Arsenal are looking at at the moment, um, unless they want to go ahead and like, you know, move Joao Felix into a different position or something like that. And I saw Cody Gakpo links this morning. I think he's a wide forward for Arsenal, as is Darwin Nunez. I think it's a different conversation, but it just got me thinking as you were talking about David. I'm always thinking about Arsenal striker conundrum. It does feel like one of those very few that can fit that bill. But anyway, I interrupted you. No, it's fine. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure Gakpo is a striker. I've only seen him a few times. Um, but uh, but in my view, he's a winger. He's yeah. he, he's a, he's a yeah, he's a wide forward. Um, 
I would agree. I, I like Darwin Nunez, but I want to see him at West Ham. I think he kind of has that Mikel, Mikel Antonio. Oh, he's a striker for West Ham. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> he's got to be. Everyone's a striker for West Ham. They just, anyone that can get in behind, you're like, oh, you can play up front for West Ham. That's fine. Doesn't matter who you are, what you do, if you can get in behind. Um, I'm excited, though, about hearing about the third part of this trident, Eric. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys have brought him up a couple of times briefly in Patreons and I, and I've been messaging Sam, like you, you need to, you need to hear about Tejan Buchanan. He, he's great. He's, he's the best, one of the best Canadian players I've, I've ever seen. Um, and I first saw Tejan Buchanan when he played my Toronto FC in, uh, in MLS, he was playing for the new England revolution and he scored a header, uh, from right wing back just absolutely floored Toronto's defense at this pace. And it was, I knew from that moment, I was like, this is why people are talking about this guy. Like he's definitely going to be playing in Europe at some point. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, I, I think the obvious comparison here is Leroy Sané. Uh, Sané is a left-footed left winger. Buchanan's a right-footed I was going to go with winger. Denzel Dumfries there. You just told me that someone's got a header from wing back. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, I cannot legally compare him to Denzel Dumfries. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think Sonny is the obvious comparison. I think if he were ever to end up in the Premier League, um, the fans would love him because he's this like basically throwback winger. With he's he's tall and he has really really quick feet. Gets down the gets down the right touch line. Um, works extremely hard out of possession. That's why he's been playing wing back. And he plays, I think he's played left wing back for, for Bruges in his first few games. Um, I think ideally what he probably sees himself as is like the third member of the Noah Lang and Charles de Ketelaire front three. Um, and I would love to see that front three personally. But yeah. Um, yeah, just amazing winger with extreme explosive speed, great dribbling ability, knows how to draw the defender in and then just get the ball out of feet so that he can win a foul or get past them. Um, at least once a game, a defender has to take a yellow card uh, in, in CONCACAF because he's just completely made a fool of them, um, perhaps. And then also, like I said, a goal-scoring threat. So he's an indirect threat from set pieces. He scores from a lot of corners. He's he's really good at getting to the back post or exploding to the top of the box when the ball is on the left flank. He'll make those runs sort of either to the top of the box or to the back post and, and not in crosses or... Um, or, or add to the link play. And he's so quick that fullbacks can't really track those runs. Um, just, yeah, great, extremely fun winger um, who I, I, I think maybe where he probably has to work a, a little bit more before he could play for a top club is uh, his decision-making, uh, especially when he has the ball, when he's dribbling on long sequences. Picking the right time to release, I think, is a very difficult skill. Um, that that a lot of young wingers have to have to learn over time, and um, depending on how he develops with that, I think you'll see a lot of interest from Club Bruges. I don't know if they're going to be playing in the Champions League next season, but if they are, um, keep an eye out for Tejan Buchanan before the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got a great mentor now at Club Bruges in Dennis Adoy, so um, I'm <laughs> sure he'll he'll continue to develop uh, in, in such wonderful esteemed company. This is madness, just another uh, just another just another stop on the Canada Fulham pipeline. <laughs> uh, just another yeah. one. There it is. Just link them all back together. They, they, it Honestly, all comes back to it eventually. Sam hears about these, Dennis Adoy about twenty times a week. Um, some of these Club Bruges team sheets. I was looking into this before we started recording, and I was like, well, yeah, yeah, Tejon Buchanan is playing a wing back, and is that Dennis Adoy holding me? 
weird. And you you told me about this, Jack, beforehand. Like, I basically didn't believe you. Um, sure. He's playing as the lone defensive midfielder and Buchanan's playing as the wrong-footed wingback. I mean, there's something exciting. I really like about that, but there's also something might be <laughs> some, something <laughs> slightly wrong about that. If they're not playing in the Champions League next season, I think I know who to point the finger at. But um, well, I, I don't think it's, I, don't, I, I think we can we can definitely not point it and in any directions of Dennis Doy considering he joined in January. But um, we shall see anyway. I think it's um, Dennis Doy's fault. We should. Yeah, t- I mean, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do think Buchanan, much like Sané, is a much better right-footed right winger than uh, cut in and shoot mm. left winger. But uh, yeah, I mean, it goes to show his versatility that that he can kind of, especially at wing back, like to play left wing back as a right winger is quite a big change, and he can definitely is, do yeah. it. Cool. You know, Absolutely. for someone that claim, came on the podcast and claimed they don't like player comparisons, Aaron, you've, you've laid down a hell of a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and it's what we love to see. Things you love on like, so you just It just gets into your soul. Suddenly you're, suddenly you're comparing players you didn't even know you thought were similar. Um, it yeah. just it finds them in. Um, which leaves us with the last point, Aaron. And uh, I suppose it's more of a general one. It is. Yeah. I mean, instead of making my number one comparing Jonathan David to R9, uh, I've gone with uh, <laughs> general praise of, of Canada's basically hope for the future. I mean, soccer has lived in the background here for so many years. And whether it ends up happening or not, I think between the World Cup in 2022 and the World Cup in 2026 and the women winning Olympic gold last year, um, this is the time where Canada really have a chance to to get a lot of inspiration and a lot of funding back into their youth programs and back into the communities that have really worked to make these team uh, this team what it is and and hopefully make us proud at a World Cup and and keep hopefully this isn't the the first and last World Cup qualification run I see in my life. Uh, hopefully this is the start of of a long term thing. Um, just just to give a little bit more background on this, um, like I said, the women managed to win Olympic gold last year. Um, it was it it was a great game. I think they've kind of had like a ten year journey with this, going back to 2012 when uh, it was a really difficult and I think uh, a really devastating loss to the states um, in in London. Um, and mm. there's been this kind of sort of will they ever get it done in this generation? And I think finally at last they did it, and then. Sort of similar to what we were talking about with the Tiva Hutchinson, um, Canada's men have finally made it to a World Cup after 36 years. It's it's also I think you can see it in the team on the pitch. These players they feel if you watch the interviews they they refer to each other as their friends as opposed to their teammates. Um, you see that everyone is extremely engrossed in in this team and what it's become and the fact that so many of these players were told that maybe they would never even play professional football or they were rejected at the provincial level or they were projected or they were rejected at the MLS level or they were rejected in Europe or you know in Hutchinson's case they he he had to play through 8-1 losses in qualifiers to to teams that barely qualified for the World Cup um I mean, it, it's just, it's unprecedented. I can't understate the extent to which it's unprecedented that Canada will go to a World Cup now and not only go to a World Cup, but also go as the winning nation uh, in, in this continent. And I mean, as a kid, being the one who likes soccer, all my friends or everyone in school would talk about NBA and the Toronto Raptors or the NHL and the Toronto Maple Leafs. But 
um, with soccer, it was always like, there's this massive gap. And I used to play as a kid a little bit. Um, and perhaps if I were to be able to see that this team is as good as it is, and you know, you can see that there's actually a path to get there. Um, I, I think a lot more kids will be, will be signing up and staying in and, and choosing soccer as their sport to play. And I think that can only be a win. Um, Canada's program is not perfect. There's a lot of, as, as with anything, there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Um, but what it is, is full of people who, in my opinion, want Canada to be better and full of great people who get to now watch this team play at a world cup after dedicating their lives to this. Yeah, I mean, and I hope that started something you're on bigger. board at a great time. I mean, you're the perfect age for this to have happened. Like you, you can actually properly embrace it. You might be able to work as part of it. Like the next, you know, five years are, are huge for you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm unable to go to Qatar, which I would love to. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm I'm hoping I'll be able to to get some of the World Cup in 2026 because I think it's going to be box office here. I think now seeing this team, the people who don't already know, I mean, it's been front page news, but the people who don't already know are are going to know about this team once they see them play yeah. in Qatar, whether they win or not. What I do know about this Canada team is that they wear their heart on their sleeves, and every single player is extremely passionate about the fact that they play for us and. I mean, to see that, like even players like Stefan Ustakio, who could have declared for Portugal, um, for him to come out and say, deciding to play for Canada was the best decision I've made in my life. Um, you can tell that these players really, really want Canada as a country to be able to experience mm. uh, the joy that they've had playing in, in the last few years. And I think because of that, in, in win or lose, uh, they're gonna they're gonna show the world and this country what they can do. Awesome, it's amazing. It's it, it, as you say. It, it feels like a a moment for for soccer in Canada. It feels like a you know that kind of between you know the women's team doing so well and having that journey, and now this big landmark thirty six year wait is over. Before and you're so right in that. There's one thing going to a World Cup and, and being like we're the hosts, we're going to be there no matter what fine sure great and and it's obviously enjoyable and there are plenty of nations who've done this and been like okay cool but there's something even more special about earning it the one before so you're like okay we've earned our spot we've also earned our spot for the next world cup because because we had the you know the, the vision to be there this time around next time it's not going to feel like oh we're here for the pity party we're here to we're here to go and compete and and i think that's massive in terms of shaping the dynamic around it it's not just oh look we've got here because we've hosted it we've got here because we earned it and then we're now we're hosting and we want to kick on with it and i think that's amazing an amazing opportunity as you say over the next sort of eight ten years to, to go and kick on again absolutely i mean i sort of think of um i sort of think of leicester's premier league win and the way it sort of affected them long term um initially you get this wave of people who just feel like it's a once in a lifetime moment and you're never going to see this again. And it's just incredible scenes. And then slowly but surely over time, they start to build a little bit more. And that initial win is what allows them to kind of build towards now being what I consider a stable top 10 Premier League team, right? And I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that might not happen for Canada. But for the first time, there is a lot of reasons why Canada could genuinely be a force or a, at least a consistent world cup 
um, World Cup qualifier from CONCACAF in the future. And if they do become that, I, I firmly believe that this initial run will be perhaps the biggest reason or the watershed moment for, for Canadian soccer uh, on the men's side. Amazing. Amazing. It's a, it's a hell of a journey. It's a hell of a story. Uh, and we hope it's a hell of a, a beginning for, for, for new beginnings, shall we say, in Canadian soccer. And, and with that, Aaron, I think you know, you've hit the, uh, hit the heartstrings there at the end. And we're going to let, we're going to let you go on, on that note. But, uh, will you tell everybody where they can find you, uh, online and, and how they can keep up with you? Sure. I mean, yeah, I work full time. I'm a full time student as well. And, uh, I, I, I tend to get busy, but I do tweet a lot about football at, uh, A Muniz football. Um, from there, you'll be able to see pretty much everything I do, quite a bit of podcasting, occasionally writing, lots of data. Um, so, I mean, I'm a data scientist. So most of my stuff focuses on the link between data and football, inevitably. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, Twitter's uh, a heck of a place, but um, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's great. It's one word, I, it's one word putting it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a ju- it's a jungle out there, would be how it's suggestive. Aaron, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for talking so, so openly and so honestly, earnestly about Canadian soccer. It really is so wonderful to hear how much it means uh, and, you know, why why this isn't kind of a one-off, why this does feel like the start of something massive and why this story is so, so important over there. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say thank you to you guys really quickly. Like, uh, like I said, I knew nothing about soccer 10 years ago. Um, and when I started one of the first writers I would look to read regularly was Sam Ty. And, uh, and so you like, still know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, to be able to have to wait an extra day to listen to the nonsense rankings is, uh, <laughs> that's going to be a first so i think uh this this has been a huge pleasure and uh definitely something i won't forget so thank you so much you did a great job mate appreciate yeah, thank it thank you, thank you so much Aaron. it's been a real pleasure welcome back to the ranks fc podcast and first and foremost thank you so much to aaron that was an enlightening bit in the middle here an enlightening main ranking about all about canada um i have learned an absolute shed load which is something that's always nice to say and always nice to say out loud um but we're going to finish things off as we usually do which means that dean jones the floor is yours it's time for melon of the week this week's melon of the week is FIFA president Gianni Infantino. Oh, dear, dear, dear. This bloke's an embarrassment to football. Maybe we already knew that, but he's obviously been out in Qatar this week trying to rally the troops. Spoke to a group of volunteers. Well, he started a chant. So, Qatar, Qatar, Qatar. FIFA, FIFA, FIFA. Look, unsurprisingly, the group of volunteers sat in front of him didn't look uninfused (laughs) didn't look particularly (laughs) keen on it i mean i knew this was going to be a soulless world cup but i didn't know that we were going to start on this note with (laughs) infantino trying to rally volunteers to try and make him enthusiastic about the tournament that's coming at the end of the year um it was awkward it was embarrassing it is quite great what we've got to come like i'm hoping like this this World Cup takes me by surprise, and I think in some ways it will, and I think it will manage to be a good World Cup. But there are moments like this that are unnecessary. Like, stop it. You're not Sepp Blatter. We got rid of him trying to do his stupid stuff. Like, just be normal. 
<laughs> it did. It did feel a bit. When I say, you say. Um, he did literally do that. He was like, three, <laughs> two, one. Qatar, Qatar, Qatar. No, no, was, no. Melon, melon, melon. Jack, in your opinion, is it better or worse than the Washington Commanders chant? It's 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 worse. It's worse than the Washington. At least the Washington Commanders chant is funny. Like at least that bloke. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things on the internet. I'm not. I'm not having that. That's great. Um, no, Infantino I mean, the execution of it was it just like four people outside a, sh- a shop. Like it was kind of embarrassing. We are commanders. <laughs> um, <laughs> unbelievable. Just unbelievable TV. Um, okay, right. That is the gibberish siren. And this week I'm going to be ranking my favorite croquettas in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, no. It's back to me. It's back to me. Um, quick and simple this time around. It is three things that I find extremely annoying. Honorable Jack mention to Dean. Jack Collins. <laughs> no, just kidding. I love you, boys. Uh, at number three, we're going to talk about spinach for a bit. I know we've already talked <laughs> about spinach on this podcast um, but we're going to have to talk have, about it again. Have, have we? I love I love spinach, and we talked about spinach in our in our top vegetables. It's, it's, it's great. But what is really annoying uh, is it comes in absolutely massive bags, and it might seem odd to moan about that. You know, might seem odd to be like, "Well, what are you complaining about? You just get loads of spinach." Um, and I appreciate that when you cook it, it shrinks, so you you know you do actually need quite a lot. But I am a man who much prefers, for the most part, to eat his spinach uncooked i put it in sandwiches right and so the sheer amount of spinach you are given for that process is just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and it always goes off in the fridge honestly there's a bag in my fridge right now it's like the size of a cushion for a sofa i've had one twentieth of it in two sandwiches and i'm gonna have to go and throw it away and i'm i'm like a student who knows he's in his 24-hour window to supply his uh, his his exam or his uh, his project where you just procrastinate and you like start like randomly cleaning the kitchen or just like hoovering the car anything not to do what you're supposed to be doing i do not want to go and deal with this gone off spinach because we have to recycle here properly and it's just going to fill my food bin up for the rest of the week so Mate, what i'm asking it's really for, easy spinach is amazing all you need to do is just make pasta and make a pasta sauce and then chuck the whole bag in and just leave it for like 20 minutes and it will all reduce into just normality and then it will keep so or a curry anything else the thing with a bag of spinach is you can put it in almost anything no i'm with you but i pref- basically i don't cook that much so i don't get that many opportunities and so i largely buy it to put in like chicken sandwiches and stuff which is how i prefer to have it i just what i'm asking for is a smaller bag of spinach and i will pay the same price um, right, number two okay. number two um someone keeps parking their car in the space outside my house where i'm supposed to put my bins oh. this is not this is not this is not appreciated my house is kind of tucked into a little alcove so you got to wheel the bins out to the front and um, I put them there every Thursday night for a Friday morning collection, or at least I try to. About 50% of the time, someone has parked their car there. It is double yellow lines. You are not supposed to do it. It is amazing that I have not already accidentally on purpose bashed the front of the car with a, with a full bin. Um, I'm an upstanding citizen, so that hasn't happened yet. That said, I do put the bins out when I'm drunk because it's on Thursday night. I go and play football and then I go to the pub. So, you know, sometimes your emotions get the better of you. But I'm getting really sick of this person who keeps just parking put, their put one car. of those traffic, buy, find a traffic cone on the way home from football at some point and put it in front of your thing and then no one will park there. No one's going to move a traffic yeah. cone. Well, they might. Well, they probably will. Not one of those big heavy ones. Nah, no one's going to do okay. that. They'll be like, oh, I can't park yeah. there. 
Oh, this is good. So basically, you've solved two of my problems so far. Let's see if you can get the third Excellent. one. Can we solve a third? Let's go. Yeah. The, the thing I find most annoying right now, and I, I don't know if you're going to have a solution for this other than move, physically move, um, is people who have conversations on speakerphone in public. Oh, yeah. This um, is bad. This is actually unforgivable. I just want to know who hurt you and why you must inflict this pain upon others. Uh, I, I only spend like two hours a week on the train. Uh, it's not that much on average. Um, but every time I get on the train, there is somebody who is sat maybe five meters away from me having a full conversation on speakerphone. I don't get it. I actually get funny about speaking on the phone altogether uh, when I'm in public because it's just kind of like, you know, it's a private conversation. So let alone letting people hear what you say, but the other end of the conversation as well is absolute mm. madness to me. Also, the irony being it's it's harder to hear the other person yeah. on the phone in a public place on a train through the speaker than it is in your ear or in earphones. I do have a solution, so why are you do doing have a solution for you though. I do have a okay. solution for you. Uh, start playing Will music Smith out of your phone. No, just start playing music out of your phone loudly. No. Because. Oh, become the problem. <clears throat> well, no, because then they won't be able to hear. And also if they're like on speakerphone, they'll be like, I can't hear what this person's saying because they're playing music next to me. And you'll be like, this is actually incredibly inconvenient. And then when they stop playing speakerphone, just stop playing your music. That's quite confrontational, though, isn't it? I, yeah. I, I think it's not that conf- it's, it's quite passive aggressive actually I think mm. it's, it's, yeah, but it's, that is, I can see that, that leading is to a, a Will Smith Chris Rock situation I can't I can't see that happening because if someone's like what are you doing why are you playing music over here I'm like why are you on speaker I wouldn't do mm. that I'd just move carriages yeah, I'll just get off the train and wait for the next one <laughs> <laughs> sorry lads can't make it into the studio I don't like someone's playing yeah I think you can be passive or just, you know, or just start interjecting in the conversation. Like, mm, Join, in. I don't think so. Join in. Yeah. 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 Be like, I don't think so, mate. Oh, but, oh I thought this was a conference call. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't have no other reason why this would be on speaker. Right. When you could have your phone to your ear, like mm. just like, mm. just start interjecting with ideas around their, pro- around their conversation. But like, mm, yeah, yeah maybe, laugh, mate. Laughing at their jokes. Laughing at the jokes, jokes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, I might Really uncomfortably that. stare at them and laugh at all the jokes. There's, yeah. the, uh, there's the solutions. Here you go. Okay. Three problems Three solutions. solved by Jack Collins. Yeah. What a well day done. this Cookie is. Spinach, Cookie spinach, nick a traffic cone, and join in. <laughs> join in with conversations that are held on speakers. Um, excellent. <laughs> excellent. What a day. What, what life we are. It's like agony mm. Uncle JC here having a great time. Normally it's Dear Dean, <laughs> yeah, but I've taken over, taken over for the time being. And, and on that bombshell, we are going to call this a day. And all stuff for me to do is say thank you very much. Firstly, to Aaron Moniz for a wonderful main ranking. Definitely make sure you're going and checking him out on Twitter, giving him a follow. There is so much brilliant stuff that he's putting out there, especially in that data visualization space thank you very much to sam ty thanks buddy thank you very much to dean jones cheers mate i won't be on next week so i'll see you in a couple of weeks yeah dean's off to america have a wonderful time mate we will see you upon your return um i've been jack collins this has been ranks fc thank you so much for listening as ever we will see you next week take it easy peace producer george says don't put spinach in trifle that's his input for the day. Thank God for George. <laughs> yeah, thank God for George. What, and what, what, what would you do without him? Without him?